Welcome to PointCast, the podcast where we talk to voters about the issues that most concern them. Rupertia Clay is with us today. She is going to be talking to us about some of the work she does, some of the issues that concern her, and we're going to spend a little time talking about perhaps the schools, if she feels so inclined to discuss um, various schools and their issues reopening. Um, before we get into all of that, Rupertia, if you can just remind all of us, because you've been a past guest, first of all, hello. And thank Hello. You. Um, remind us the type of work that you do uh, with the school system. Okay. I'm a special education teacher. I'm working primarily with students with behavioral and mental health needs. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So being a special education teacher right now has to have its own sort of pressures because you all are very, very much needed how how has that been worked out as to how you would work with your students or has it been worked out um when schools first closed we were well i shouldn't say they closed when we went to online learning uh it was important to us to make sure we were able to have contact with our parents as much as possible so in any way that we could contact them via phone text, Zoom, any way that we could um, still engage with our students to try as much as possible to give them some one-on-one -on -one, um, attention based on their IEPs or whatever their needs were. So that's what we did. Um, and then we reached out a lot through Dojo. I'm not sure if you're aware of that mm -hmm. because some parents did not have access to Wi-Fi or computers until the school systems were able to to send those to them. So for people who may not be familiar with Dojo, could you please explain it for them? Dojo is a platform. It's like a texting video service between parents and uh, staff members where we are able to, to communicate with them back and forth, send um, work assignments. Students are able to uh, communicate either through text and also send work assignments back to us. Mm -hmm. Now I want to go back a little bit now. I know we're in this month, but back the first earlier in the spring when all of this happened for teachers, um, I want to talk a little bit personally about how it impacted you and how you mm -hmm. kind of processed where we were because, you know, as a country, we've done a lot of learning since the beginning of this year. How have you processed not just as a special education teacher, but just as a person who happens to be in that setting, how have you processed all of this? And what conclusions have you come to? For me, um, it has been, first it was perplexing, but I'm a person that sees the silver lining in things. Um, and what a lot of people were not aware of for me personally as as a parent and as a teacher, but also as a person, I was um, diagnosed early in the year with cancer. Mm. And I was juggling wanting to remain in the classroom with my students, um, but also take care of my health as much as possible. But for, so for me, I had already started having these conversations with my parents prior to um, 
COVID shutting the schools down where we were in the classrooms. So my students had already started to have some anxiety about the possibility of me not being in the classroom. So when uh, COVID presented itself, it became another obstacle, but also another, for me, a teachable moment of things that are out of our control. Um, and so I was able to share share with them ways that they could make this a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, if I was out of the classroom, they would have another teacher, right? Mm-hmm. This in this way, I was out of the classroom, but I could still be involved with them. Mm-hmm. I could still, you know, another teacher didn't have to come on, and I was still able to also take care of my health. So for me, it ended up being a positive um, because I was able to be home and take care of myself, and on the flip side, take care of my students. What does that mean for you moving forward? if schools open back up in the fall? I am, I was a little hesitant um, taking into consideration what the doctors and scientists are saying about the spread of COVID, but also taking into consideration the need of students Uh and families. And while we say parents have a choice and I'm an advocate for parent choice, and for them using their voice, but I understand for some parents, even with that choice, it's difficult because they have to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to say, well, parents, if you make the decision for your child to be online, who's going to be there with a child? Who is going to? So it was very difficult. It was very difficult for me to say what is going to be the best and I still don't know what that is Um, however I did make the choice this year and it was a difficult choice um, to take another position out of the classroom Um, and that was for my health and it was also for um, in the event that I have to continue you know doctor's appointments and things like that I didn't want to have the responsibility of being a classroom teacher and then not being able to be in the classroom for my students. So um, it's impacted, it's impacted me in a lot of different ways in that I had to make that decision to leave the classroom, which is very difficult because for me, these students that I have, they grow with me. I usually have them for about three years Mm -hmm. before they transition to another classroom. So, um, I don't know what that what this year is going to look like for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the CDC's guidelines for social distancing and the wearing of mm-hmm. masks for not only teachers and, and, and various employees of schools, but for the children themselves. Um, you gave me an expression there when I brought up masks. Please share with me what are what are these guidelines mean to you and can they be realistically employed in the classroom setting? I don't know how we will, I don't know how I will be able to control that in the classroom setting, especially for, you know, students who are as willful as the students um, that I've come in contact with. Um, I believe that we can try anything. 
my I have grandchildren. My grandchildren go to daycare and they have not ceased from going to daycare in this um, climate. They continue to go. And I have not heard of any cases, you know, that have increased or decreased from from those children going. So I'm thinking to myself, if a preschool can continue to operate, follow the CDC guidelines, and these babies are too young to even wear masks, um, and they have not had any cases at either of their preschool centers, then it's possible. Um, the only difference is, you know, you have ch these elementary students are older and, um, you know, they're in sometimes in closer contact with one another. And, you know, just trying to figure out how we're going to realistically keep them spaced within the six feet apart, within the, you know, keeping their mask on, washing their hands. I, I just would like to implement it and then hopefully, you know, we can tweak it as needed. But I'm optimistic, but realistic, I guess I should say, mm -hmm. to sum it up. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what do you think then based on what you shared what do you think about essential workers um and some of these folks are speaking out with some of the schools not really sure if their schools are going to open and on what online school might mean for them because they have to go to work what do you think about at least essential workers being able to take their kids to school um, to a physical location as opposed to online school do you think that the school system should consider that um exception i believe they i believe they have considered that and um if i could just say i know as far as um, ips was concerned i believe it was maybe two weeks ago and don't quote me on the time but i know that when we checked the numbers for the surveys for parents to speak out at the time there had only been 27% of parents who had spoken out as to what their desires were for their children. Um, so with that being said, I do know that the option was given for parents to make that determination online or in class. And on the, on the district level side, what they were asking teachers was, for those teachers who, who feel as though they may not want to be in the classroom or afraid or are concerned, they could then not lose their um, tenure, but choose to teach online. Mm -hmm. um, and so for parents, I'm saying that you do have a choice, essential workers, you do have a choice as to if you want to a brick and mortar or online learning. You just have to make that choice known to the right people. And, you know, social media is, are, is not the right people. Your friends and family are not the right people. The school board is the right people to be speaking with, you know, reaching out to your mayor's action hotlines or the people who are making decisions about schools. That's who you should be reaching out to. And unfortunately, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Changing tracks just a little bit, but still in the same vein. What are your thoughts on the current surge in coronavirus cases across the nation and including here in Indiana? My thoughts are, I believe people 
have maybe gotten complacent if I can generalize. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were quarantining heavily at the beginning of the pandemic. And then I believe as it got warmer or with the rhetoric that is in the news daily about, is it real? Is it not real? Do the mask work or not work? Um, people have quickly become complacent and are saying that it's worth the risk. And I even know some people personally in my own life who say, well, it's worth the risk because at this point I'm healthy and it may only show up as like a little cold or maybe I'll be like, you know, this famous person and be asymptomatic. And so I believe people are, are doing more, going out more, taking more risk. And that is the other part that I'm afraid of. If we open the schools, how many people have are t- have taken that risk? You know, they've been to the fair, um, they've been to the beach up up north, um, and they've taken those chances. And now they're saying, "Now here, you deal with my student, but also keep them safe in a way that you yourself didn't do." Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think we're in a kind of a catch-22 like be careful but how careful are we really being be safe but how safe are we really being ourselves um and are we just waiting for the government or in this in this uh, particular situation the teachers and the staff to do it how do you think elected officials have done with handling this this pandemic particularly uh on the national level I don't think we did a great job. <laughs> and I say we because we're a collective. You know, we, we voted for, for the people that are on these levels. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we, we did a great job. Um, I feel, I believe we were notified late in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the precautionary measures that we should have been given or told about weren't dealt with until there was a a surge in numbers in our own cities. It was, it seemed to me as though each city took it upon themselves to wait and see, Mm -hmm. wait and see how bad it would get before um, issuing the precautionary measures that possibly could have uh, throttled some of the the high numbers, mm-hmm. and and some people believe that it is the states and the city's responsibility instead of looking for a national strategy. Uh, when you look at how this is being handled, who mm-hmm. do you who do you put the onus on? Do you think it's your mayor, your governor's responsibility, or is it someone else's to not only come up with strategy but to communicate? you know, to us, what our next steps are going to be? I believe for us, it, it's a, um, a joint effort, you know, starting with the governor. W- with anything on this magnitude, you say you start with the head. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it would be be our governor. Just as you said, if if on the national level, if it wasn't communicated in a way that would protect the citizens of that state, then it falls on the shoulders of your governor. It falls on the shoulders of your mayor to say, even though this is not coming from 
the head. It's not coming from the national level. This is what we're going to do to protect our citizens in this state. Because I do know that they were notified. I do know that they had, um, um, you know, information before the public. And what that, what that information was, I'm not sure, but it's been noted that on our national level and at, at home level, um, the higher ups were, were made aware. Um, and I, I knew that from actually one of, one of, I believe it was in February. So schools closed in March. In February, there was a district um, letter about us starting to make sure we were washing our hands. And so, you know what I mean? Right. There, there had to be a trickle at some point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that we didn't that we weren't given notice of so that we could take heed to it do you feel that you're getting accurate information now and timely information now from what i see yeah i would say yes um i when i am able to handle it and again if i could just put the that caveat out that in me dealing with having cancer i developed um some anxiety Mm -hmm. um and then the chemo also caused like a loss of um some of my memory mm -hmm. and so <laughs> with those two things it would escalate you know with us dealing with this pandemic mm -hmm. and all the changes and then um trying to listen to the information that was being given to us about it, um, it would cause some slight anxiety. Okay. And so um, I had to stop watching the, see right now I just lost the word. <laughs> it's okay, take your time. Uh, the updates, I had to stop watching the updates. Mm -hmm. But I, when I would go back and watch, I felt like it was timely information and it was information that we needed. Um, and I also think that as time went on, the scare tactics in the message, and I don't know that they were actual scare tactics, but the the message started to calm some somewhat, and it wasn't as the information wasn't as um, scary anymore, and it felt more doable. And so, yeah, I guess to answer your question, I do think that the message now is timely, and it's appropriate. And you know, with him giving us the updates, the mayor giving the updates as often as he has, I feel like they're relevant to us moving forward and making decisions moving forward, better decisions. Now you have a lot on your mind going through chemo and cancer and trying to heal and keep yourself on that positive path. Um, but as you look toward the future in the fall, perhaps in the, the upcoming election, when you look at how all of this has been handled, does, does the handling of the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic rather, does that weigh on you as a voter? Are you taking this experience with you to the polls? I, you are? Yes, yes. Okay. Definitely. Um, and have you made again, a decision on who you're going to vote for yet based on this? I have not. I This is maybe the first time since I've become a voter that um, if, if I can just even be transparent that I've delve this deep into who the representative is and exactly what they're saying about education, about um, my civil liberties, about my health, 
and um, when they speak and how they speak. You know, it are they speaking about the greater good or are they speaking about a party? And if it's just if it's if it sounds like it's toting the company line at this point, then it's someone that I don't think I could vote for. Okay. Well, we'll have to let that be the last word. I really appreciate you pulling over, taking some time to talk. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you as always, uh, Mr. Purdy. And for those of you who like Miss Clay, have similar ideas or opinions, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or go to our website at pointcast.news. Uh, please leave your opinions or your views there. If you have opposing opinions or views, please feel free to share those as well. Pointcast strives to set a table for all voices to be heard, and we want to make sure that if you're a voter, your voice is heard. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Elliot Productions, for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you again, Rupertia, and blessings you. to you on your journey of healing and to your family. Thank you. Uh, and to all of our listeners who make this worthwhile, peace to all of you.